As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The presenting sponsor of The Audible is Trader Joe's. Inside Trader Joe's is a five-part podcast series that takes you literally inside Trader Joe's. Go inside the TJ's tasting panel, travel to wineries in Napa Valley, and around the world to discover the next great Trader Joe's products. Discover why they wear those super fashionable Hawaiian shirts. You'll find Inside Trader Joe's on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman, who's actually sitting probably two feet away from me right now. Yeah, it's uh, sorry I spilled this coffee on your on your hotel couch, too. Yeah, I'm looking at that now. Terrific. Who's going to get stuck with the bill for that? Um, probably you. Yeah. So we're here at the uh, lovely, uh, what's this hotel called? It's, it's called the Renaissance. It's not that lovely for a Renaissance, but it's okay. Nobody wants to hear us complain about hotels. Still. No, we. Uh, somebody asked me about this on Twitter the other day. Like, do you do you appreciate how cool the, a part of your job covering the the playoffs and the bowl games are? Absolutely. We are here. For it is Thursday. Today was media day for the Alabama, Oklahoma Orange Bowl college football playoff semifinal. And now we are back at the hotel in Fort Lauderdale. We did an interview earlier with a special guest, Laura Rutledge of ESPN. If you've watched any college football on ESPN this season, you've seen her everywhere. We taped that earlier at Media Day. We'll get to that in a second. You know what was interesting to me today is that you have both the Heisman winner and the Heisman runner-up, Kyler Murray and Tua. And I don't know if what it says about our industry or the fact that maybe the media are split across two different games. It was not that hard to walk up and get a question into those guys. Well, give me comparison's sake. Like, I, I remember, maybe this is different because there was a little bit of a, a cloud, but I remember when Oregon played Auburn and it was Cam Newton, uh, it was a much different threshold. Now, that was a national title game. This is a semifinal, and I think maybe we're conditioned to think of these things in the context of it's a finals game when it's not. Maybe that's where it splits out a little bit. Yeah, I mean, usually... At least with the coaches, at least with Saban, you can't usually even get close enough to ask a question. But that was not the case today. Really cool setup over there at Hard Rock Stadium, which this is my first time, by the way, seeing it since all the renovations. You know, I think the last game I was at 
what is now called Hard Rock Stadium was the Alabama Notre Dame national championship beatdown, and that stadium was in much worse condition then. Yeah, I'm trying to think of how many games I've seen. I remember, and you were at this game too, I think when our friend Matt Liner just lit up Alabama like a dozen years ago. I remember being here for, I don't know what the heck it was called, when Jared Payton ran over Florida State in the Orange Bowl. That was probably 15 years ago. You would have been at the the Oklahoma-Florida game, Sam Bradford. I was. was, I forgot about that. Yeah. So hopefully hopefully we'll get a good game here. What was the most interesting thing you heard today at Media Day? I feel like I missed out on all the most interesting things. I was kind of going in a million different directions, and I heard of a lot of interesting things from other people. Like I never got around Jalen Hurts, but I think that would have been interesting to hear how he's dealing with the, the transfer speculation right now. Yeah, I mean, for me, one of the guys in our colleague, Jason Kersey, had kind of tipped me off to this. So I said, who's a really good interview for Oklahoma? And he said Curtis Bolton, and he was exactly right. Uh, he was very analytical and very thoughtful. And towards the end, I'm gathering stuff for a story that, you know, we'll see if it sees the light of day, depending on how much, you know, how far Oklahoma goes, how much further Oklahoma goes. But I asked him at the end, I was like, well, what exactly do you guys have to do to win? And... He said, the thing that hurts people when they play Alabama is a lot of times they're defeated before they get on the field. And it's matched their physicality. You cannot turn the ball over and you cannot give up the big plays. And when you think about it, if you had said you cannot give up the big plays years ago, I don't feel like that's what Alabama was winning with. But in, the, in regard to this team with Tua, with those really dynamic receivers, that's a problem. And certainly it's a problem... <clears throat> I'll tell you what's a problem. You've lost your voice before we've even gotten to the playoff game. And then you've got to do sideline for a bowl game two days after that. I am going to make it. I'm inspired by, by our, uh, our friend Laura Rutledge's doggedness and doing like 17 jobs at once. So I think I'll manage. But again, that's the question is, can they match the physicality of Alabama? Can they avoid giving up a lot of big plays? I think they're going to give up some. But you look at this game and it's like, I feel like nobody's giving them a chance. They're a two-touchdown underdog. I said, does this feel like David and Goliath and you guys are David? And I think it's hard for them. As much as he said, as much as you want to block that stuff out, it's in front of you. You can't really, you know, around it. I mean, I mean, do you think this is a foregone conclusion? I guess what I would say is when people ask me, how does Oklahoma beat Alabama? The best reason I can come up with is, well, crazy things happen in bowl games. <laughs> because I can't give you an X's and O's reason. Now, Tua says his ankle is, what, 80 to 85%. If that turns out to be – he hasn't played in a game yet. So if it, he gets out there and he's just not himself, I think that changes the game completely. You never know in a bowl game four weeks off who's going to be rusty, who maybe is out of condition, that kind of thing. But if you're talking like the teams that ended the season come and play today, I mean, it just comes down to this for me. You're talking about Alabama, I think you would agree, probably has the best set of receivers in college football. Yes, or one I of the best. Yeah, best. And I think Oklahoma, out of all the Power Five schools, may have one of the worst set of DBs in terms of how they've played this season. So it seems to me that if Tua is healthy, he's just going to be out there picking them apart. Now, maybe Kyler Murray can do the same thing to Alabama and they get into a shootout. The, you know, I, towards the end of my little media sessions, one of the questions was towards not just Curtis Bolton, but some of the guys. And it was like, it would come back to, does Kyler Murray need to be Superman on Saturday night? And I was waiting for somebody to go, well, Kyler Murray is Superman. Haven't you watched this season yet? <laughs> but 
the one thing that I heard from Bill Biedenboe, who's the O-line coach, and from a couple other players was he doesn't need to do anything more than he's done. Just go out and be Kyler. And we like our chances with that, you know, because where teams get into trouble a lot of times in big games is when they do stuff and go outside who they really are. And then that's when the mistakes really happen. And I think just you mentioned the Notre Dame game here. And they, they certainly, this team has more firepower and is more explosive than Notre Dame team is. But if it feels like, you remember when they, I think it was in New Orleans when, when Alabama beat Michigan State and Connor Cook, the game was tight for the first, almost the first half. And then all of a sudden it was like, it went from like 13 to nothing to 34 nothing, it felt like, in like five minutes. And that's the part where I, I think it needs to look like last year's Georgia game in the Rose Bowl. Because to me, now Tua is a much more dynamic passer and there's better receivers for Alabama than Georgia. I don't think I don't think this Alabama team, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but I don't feel like this Alabama team is is they have a better D line, but I don't think on defense they're 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 significantly better than the Roquan Smith group. Am I am I wrong to think that? Am I just revisionist history? Well, the Alabama defense got a lot better as the season went along. You know, you came into the season, and it's like they're replacing their entire starting secondary, and then uh, their best cornerback got hurt. Uh, what was that? Early midseason that yeah. he's been out for the season. So it doesn't seem like that's like it does seem like they're still playing very well. But then you know you look back at the SEC championship game. Jake Fromm had a fantastic game, and you think, well, maybe they that was just the first time they'd played a you know one of the upper level college football quarterbacks, and now they're going to play the Heisman winner. It's not true because this group actually, even though you know a lot of people have knocked their schedule, they've actually played some pretty good passing passing attacks. They faced Jordan Tamu and some really good receivers at Ole Miss. They played Drew Locke, who is a talented quarterback. They played Stidham, who is talented, albeit he doesn't have a great cast around him. And as you mentioned, they played Jake Fromm with really, really good running backs. That's not bad. And that's not even talking about Jimbo Fisher's group, who is pretty capable, you know. So I don't know. When I look at it. Again, and when you when you would talk to the Alabama guys about the Georgia game last year, and granted it's different because Baker, I felt like everybody at Oklahoma and Georgia did not have the the aura that out this Alabama team has. I mean, they're a talented team; they pass the eyeball test. But people didn't look; they certainly didn't look at Georgia last year like this. You know, it wasn't like Georgia had had all of a sudden had Alabama down at halftime before that happened. So. I don't know. I, I think that probably gives them some confidence in a way that's very different than what it looks like, you know, what it looked like last year for them. Again, by the way, just from a stat- statistical standpoint, last year, Georgia threw 15 games, second in the SEC defense, only allowed 295 yards per game. Right now, Alabama, guess how many yards they allow? 400. 295 yards per game. Oops. I thought you were trying to tell me that the, that Georgia defense was so much better than this one. They're exactly the same. They're, I feel like they're similar. I think yeah. Alabama's D-line with Quinn and Williams and that group is, is better than what Georgia had. But I feel like Roquan Smith is better at the, in the middle of the defense than what Alabama. Yeah, they're built differently. And also remember, I covered that Oklahoma-Georgia game. And Oklahoma came out in the first half. And you could just tell Georgia was not prepared. Lincoln Riley was tremendous play caller. Kirby Smart, Kirby Smart called a timeout toward the goal line to try, and then they just they ran the trick play. But then in the second half, they they held Baker Mayfield pretty much in check. So 
Um, look, we've never seen Alabama. The last time Alabama would have faced like a, a, a quote unquote air raid team with a really good quarterback, gotta have been A and M and Manziel, right? I mean, they've placed other teams that that I mean, A and M kept running that same system, but they didn't have quarterback like that. Yeah, I mean, technically, Ole Miss had an air as an air raid system with good receivers, but not to the level that Tom was a good quarterback. Kyler Murray in the system is a different it's a different deal. So we'll see. I find it, in, even though I I'm finding it hard to to come up with a path to victory for the Sooners, I still am just. You know Lincoln Riley, who's probably considered one of if need the not one of if not the best offensive mind in college football right now, going against Nick Saban's defense. It's fascinating. That's why I'm here. Could have gone to the other one, but I'm here. Back to the podcast in a second, but first, Bruce, we're coming up on the end of the year. How much do you think you spent this year on wireless? Probably about a month or the for the year. How about the month? Probably about two hundred a month now. That is crazy. But I get too expensive, don't I? Uh, no comment. Maybe to this point you could, but now you have no excuse because of Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile is offering the best holiday deal on wireless you've ever seen. Three months of service for only $20. We've been talking about this for a few weeks now. If people haven't already switched, they're they're missing out. It's only here for a limited time. $20. So one $20 bill, not 200 20 Gets you three months of wireless service with five gigabytes of 4G LTE data each month plus unlimited talk and text. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan. You can keep your old phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile runs on the nation's fastest, most advanced LTE network, and if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their seven-day money-back guarantee. All right, let's tell the listeners where they can find it. What do you think? Let's do it, Stu. Take advantage of this Mint Mobile holiday deal before it's gone. To get three months of wireless for $20 and the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash audible. It's mintmobile.com slash audible. Three months of service for just $20 at mintmobile.com slash audible. Speaking of the other ones, too, I feel like we're giving up the short shrift. Before we get into the breakdown of the game, some news around Christmas Eve with Dexter Lawrence. He's really the biggest name that is in limbo because of a positive uh, drug test. How significant now? If there's one position, if there's probably one position group in the country that could that could withstand losing a terrific player and potential first or second round pick, it's the a Clemson D line. Does it change the way you think if if Dexter Lawrence doesn't get to play against Notre Dame? I mean, it's crazy. He's a projected first round pick, and yet it doesn't really because I feel like you know if they were down uh, Trevor Lawrence, that would be one thing. If they were down, ATN. Oh, oh, yeah, for sure. But defensive line is the one area where they're so loaded. And, in fact, the backups, you know, the, the guys that will step in aren't necessarily of that talent level, but they're, they're juniors and seniors who've played a lot. You know, they, they're a team that likes to get their second wave of defensive linemen a lot of snaps. So it's not like some completely unqualified guy is going to be in there. Notre Dame fans won't like me saying this, but... And by the way, these, doing these predictions on podcasts is always dangerous because people will be able to listen to them well after the fact. But uh, I, that's the one I'm much more confident in. I, I, if, if Oklahoma could, I could see where Oklahoma might be able to pull off the upset just because they have Kyler Murray and they have this crazy. I don't, where is Notre Dame going to win? What matchup is Notre Dame going to win to beat Clemson? I mean, I, have, I happen to think Clemson's really good. Other people, maybe you're in this camp, think they're kind of overrated. Yeah, I guess, uh, I don't know if I would say it the way you just said it. I have probably more 
Respect isn't the right word. I have more belief in Alabama than I do in this Clemson team. So part of this, I think, is because I don't think the ACC outside of Clemson is good. Right. Whereas I do think the SEC is strong around Alabama. So I have that. The question I have for you is, how many times have you seen... And I'm not saying you don't pay attention to Notre Dame, but I'm like, I feel like it's different when you've seen a team and watched the whole game or seen them in person. Well, that's that's actually impacting what I feel. And now, granted, you pick one game out of a team's season, it's not necessarily reflective of the whole season, but I was at the Notre Dame SC game. And it's not like Notre Dame played poorly. Yeah, they got down early, they came back. But just seeing them in person, you know, they're not... They're not. Um, they're just not teaming with athletes the way an Alabama or a Clemson or even a Georgia is. They're just a good, solid team. I got no. I don't think they're overrated. I just think somebody's got to play Alabama and Clemson. You know, it's in, and whoever those teams are are probably not going to win the game because I think those two are the best teams in the country. I don't think they're overrated. I just don't think they're on the level of um, of Alabama or Clemson. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. I have a problem with. I don't know. If this falls in the category of recency bias. But we were both here when a team I thought was pretty good. In fact, I was a fool who picked out that Notre Dame team to beat Alabama. Whatever. Uh, I did too. Okay, so Whoops. So, again, I don't know if it was after seeing them, it's like you're less likely, you know, you touch the hot stove and now you don't want to stick your hand on it again. Where I haven't seen anything. Like, honestly, I didn't watch the beginning, the whole game of Georgia. Uh, Notre Dame two years ago. I haven't seen anything from Notre Dame. I watched the game when they played Michigan. I don't think Michigan is Michigan's good. They're not that good. Like I haven't seen anything from Notre Dame where they have stepped up in weight class and gone toe to toe with a really, really elite team. It's not to say they can't do it. I haven't seen. It. I think Ian Book's a good quarterback, but where you know where are the difference makers on this team? Like. I, I'm not saying they don't have players, but that's the part I'm skeptical of. So I have two questions going out of this, though. The first question is, what do you think would be best for college football for a national title game matchup? Is it Notre Dame-Oklahoma and both brand teams are out? I mean, because if you have Notre Dame-Alabama, it's going to feel a lot like it did five years ago in the run-up, and no one's going to feel like it's going to be well, clemson true freshman quarterback stubbed their toe or whatever. I think if it's Oklahoma and Kyler Murray against Clemson or Notre Dame, I do feel like that would that would have some buzz. Obviously, Notre Dame has the biggest fan base and would draw in some factors, but I think the rest of the country would feel like, okay, Notre Dame still won't have a chance unless, you know, because the biggest... Yeah, that's the problem is because of 2012. If Notre Dame hadn't had that... If we hadn't had that specific matchup already, like, I, I do think people are eager to... to to see something other than Alabama Clemson. We were actually talking earlier today about national title games in my backyard. I'm starting to see the ads, the billboards. We were talking, we were in the hospitality room talking to one of the Alabama writers. They don't think Alabama fans are going to travel to that. They've done it, what, four years in a row. It's an extremely expensive trip. Fights are probably going to be a thousand dollars, but I can tell you if Notre Dame's in it, they're not worried about filling that stadium because Notre Dame fans are, going to be so excited and it's a big national brand but that being said i think it's better for college football for alabama to be in the game as much as everybody complains about alabama fatigue if they're undefeated going into the championship game with Tua, you know i think people want to see them and then see if they'll lose right so i think at the end of the day 
as much as we might say, like, ugh, not another Alabama-Clemson game, that's the matchup where people would feel like there's the best chance of Alabama losing, right? If it's Alabama-Notre Dame, people are going to say, I've seen that before. Oh, and you're saying if it's Oklahoma-Notre Dame? I mean, I think that would be interesting to people because of Kyler Murray. What do you think would rate the best? Alabama. Alabama is a ratings machine. Alabama-Notre Dame. Alabama, Dame. Yeah, Clemson doesn't draw eyeballs. For as good as they are, it's not a huge fan base. They don't, they don't draw a lot of eyeballs. You don't see them listed among the highest-rated games of the season. By the way, I wanted to go back to something you said earlier. That Notre Dame, it does have a difference maker. It's Dexter Williams. Like, that was the one guy that, that, that jumps off the field when you're watching them in person or on TV. It's just that I don't know that that's how you best attack like, is, is it realistic that Dexter Williams is going to run for 180 yards on Clemson? The teams that have had success against Clemson, in particular the quarterbacks, right? Kellen Mond threw for over 400 yards on them. Jake Bentley, I think, threw for 500 yards on them. you got to beat them through the air. So it's really going to be on Ian Book in that game. Well, Ian Book, is, I think, is a really good passer. I think that's possible. I would make the case that of these four schools – the one, the coach that has the most to gain in this, by far to me, is Brian Kelly. Oh, for sure. You know, Lincoln Riley, I feel like, even though he hasn't won a national title, he's got two Heisman winners in two years. NFL NFL types, and I say that loosely because I don't know, you know, it's a little bit like Matt Barkley as a first-round pick as a junior. You don't know what's really real and what gets kind of swept up into this vortex of, of, of BS a little bit until it's until it actually happens. But I do think, you know, Lincoln Riley's established. Dabo Oria has a national title. You know, Saban trips over national titles in his house. So it's, but it's Brian Kelly because I think, he, I think we, we both agree he's a really good coach. But, you know, what does it do for his status if he can win a national title? I mean, what is it like? Basically, that would be only the second one in Notre Dame in like 50 years now or 40 years. Even if they just beat Clemson, even if they don't win the national title, but they beat Clemson in a playoff semifinal game. That would be the biggest win of his his whole career there. It would make people like me seem dumb for saying that they're not in the same class as a Clemson athletically. That would probably be their biggest win. I, you know, We'll get people to correct this, but this would probably be the biggest win if they were to beat Clemson that Notre Dame has had in, in 25 years. Since that Florida State number one versus two game? But it would be bigger than that, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's not a regular season game. It's a playoff game. It is. I mean, it's... You know, right now, I feel like the biggest win Notre Dame had in like the last 20 years was actually a loss, and it was the Bush-Push game that Charlie Weiss got about, you know, $75 million for. In that 2012 season, they went on the road and beat Oklahoma, who I think might have been higher ranked or at least the favorite. That was pretty big at the time, but nothing like this. Because think about the last few seasons. Like, they beat LSU in a bowl game last year. That's a good win, yeah. but it, it's, it's in the Citrus Bowl. It's not going to get that much attention. They played at Florida State when Jameis was there and almost won. You know, the pick, pick call at the end. They played Clemson in the rain, a game that Matt Fortuna wrote about on our site the other day, the, the bring-your-own-guts game, and lost on a two-point conversion. Like, they've had a lot of near misses against these top echelon, you know, out, well, everything's out of conference for them, but intersectional game. So big opportunity for them. There have been other bowl games, uh, which we will get to in a second. But first, Laura Rutledge. We're here at Orange Bowl Media Day, and uh, Bruce and I are pleased to be joined by ESPN's Laura Rutledge, who just told us what her itinerary is for the week, and now we are both exhausted. <laughs> we want to go to sleep. too. So you're covering Oklahoma this yes. week, but I think people know you from the SEC. So 
What's yeah. it been like immersing yourself with this uh, Big 12 team? It's been a lot of fun, and I, I tell you what, um, Oklahoma is a team that I've watched a lot of just over the past few years, uh, just being a college football fan. So to be able to get to know them and, and be around their program, spending some time in Norman, has been pretty neat. And I'll be on Oklahoma's sideline and also hosting SEC Nation while I'm here. And even the second that the game's over, I'll throw, put down my microphone for the game and then run across the field and host an SEC Now show like the set. Basically, they don't start the show until I can get there. So the second that I can get there, uh, they'll start that show. And it, it's just, it's a lot of fun covering both of these teams and being able to, you know, just be exposed to a team that, like I said, I've enjoyed watching them all season long and a, a big fan of what Lincoln Riley's done with the program. So how much have you had a chance to kind of immerse yourself with the personality of the team? Because you go from having Baker Mayfield and his personality, which as much as any player I think we've covered in a long time, you felt like you got to know him and you yeah. got to see that edge. Do you see similarities to that to Kyler, the other Heisman guy, or no? Kyler is his own version of that, I think. And, and the one thing that I've always enjoyed about Kyler Murray is he's always been himself. I actually covered his very first start when he was at Texas A&M. They played South Carolina and won the game. And I'll never forget when he first came out on the field and he just had this swag about him. And you could tell, okay, that guy's different. And, and yeah, you know, people talk about his size and they say this, that, and the other. But when he spins that football, when you see him move out there, you realize there's real legitimate talent there. Being just a baseball fan, I had, you know, kind of followed him from that. And so I think what I've seen, even all the way back to that time to now, is that he stayed true to who he is. He has like a quiet edge, a little bit quieter than Baker's maybe. But it is, I think, a big thing that's permeated this team. And, and they all have a, a quiet confidence, a quiet swagger about them. But it's very business-like. Every single thing they do is very business-like, sort of similar to Alabama in a lot of ways. I know we're supposed to be talking about the game, but I'm, are you guys as curious as I am? I was asking him about the NFL stuff. Other people were too. Is this really going to happen? Like, it seems like he's genuinely torn. I think he's genuinely torn, and, and I kind of would be too if I were him. I mean, here's the thing. You think about his baseball future. He's a five-tool player. I mean, he has a, a huge baseball future. Obviously, he's already made big money from baseball. But the reality of it is he will you know, finish up this and, and then transition to baseball if he does that, go ride a bus in the minor leagues and uh, work his way up the system. And, and having experienced some of that myself personally, uh, it's not pleasant. And the NFL is a much flashier world. And I think there's part of him just as an athlete and as a person that wants to test those waters. I, I think I tried to put myself in his shoes. Like if I happen to be just gifted with all this talent by God, I think that I would be torn as well. I don't think it's as cut and dry as people act like it is. Yeah, I don't think it is either. I think what's interesting is he had always heard, we've always heard, legendary player at the highest level in Texas football. And then when he was at A&M, just from following those guys, it was kind of underwhelming. Like yeah. there would be times he would dirt the ball and it's just like, all right, maybe it doesn't translate as well. And then he comes here and I got to admit, he was way better than I thought he was going to be. I thought Baker was a phenomenal player. Like you were talking about his personality. I feel like we saw Baker's personality more than any star player yeah. in the last 10 years. Even if there were Marcus Mariota's or whatever, we didn't see because they were more reserved. So you got that with him. He comes in. And the game of the NFL has, has evolved a little bit, whether it's Pat Mahomes or now Baker or what the Rams do. You see, hey, maybe this guy, even though he's not as big physically, he's like a, he's shorter, but he's also like smaller. I wonder, and if you're you're talking about like, you know, 
competitors at the highest level where he's like, wait a minute, I know you guys don't, but you guys don't matter. Right. I think I could do it. I would be fascinated to see what he could do. Well, and we know that NFL teams are given a chance in a heartbeat. I think they would. I think they they might not have five years ago, but they would now. They would now. And that's, and and, and to your point, they're going to look at his size and say, all right, so that's that's the knock on him, really? I mean, look at him this year. The way he throws it, the way his athletic ability, I think he would be a nightmare for defenses. Now, they would adjust, but still, he's – I'm with you. I think it's a real dilemma. I have a, I have a question off of – so you're going to be on the sideline of the game. As a host of the uh, of SEC Nation, how much different is the energy you get where it's, whatever, three hours compared – I mean, you're in the middle of it as opposed to you get the adrenaline rush of a game. It is, it's funny because I think when you're on the field uh, pre-game hosting a show, there is a ton of energy. Like You feel that and it's all around you, but when you don't have that, that feels so separate from what it feels like on the sideline. And you know this from being on sidelines. You guys know like you're down there and there's so much happening. It's almost like you're thrown into a, a dryer and you're spinning around and you've got to try to pick out these pieces of information and it is such an adrenaline rush. And I always have to, when I sit down on a set after being just on the field, I always have to remind myself to take a deep breath, you know, calm down, be, because as a host, you want to be a little more even, you want to be a little more uh, measured in the way that you're introducing things, and obviously there's no teleprompter for any of this ever, so you want to be a little more thoughtful in where you're going and not as much like, here's an injury report on this, you know, it's, it's a totally different feel, it is, it's a very, a very quick switch of the gears. Okay, so you're recently named breakout star of the of the media of all of the media in 2018 by sports media. Though. Yeah, sports, don't sports don't give me too much credit. <laughs> the rest of the media is I, I, no, I don't care about them. They're all Whatever. Yeah. They're all <laughs> but it's true. Like you were everywhere this season. You know, I would tune into a Thursday night Temple game, and you're on the sideline there. And then you're in you're in New York doing the morning show, and then all the SEC things we just talked about. How? How do you nav- How do you balance all that? I think. Um, well, first of all, I- I'm just really thankful for it, and I think I-, I live in that space all the time. Like, there have definitely been times where you think, "Man, I could really use some extra sleep." But I actually, on my phone, will always keep uh, the press release. It's kind of stupid, but the press release that was sent out when I was. Um, announced as the SEC Nation host because that was like the first kind of I guess bigger thing that I had I had gotten and I keep it on my phone so that every time I open up the internet that's one of the first things that I see just as a reminder like hey you get to do this this is just the most incredible job that I would have never imagined would have come my way so um, I think that's the main key but then the other sort of mechanical key is that I don't like if I'm in in New York Mondays and Tuesdays for get up I'm purely focused on that and I will do some interviews for some things later on in the week but then I immediately switch back to focusing on that then when I turn the page to the Thursday game you know I'm, I'm totally focused on that and, and what happens is my teammates the people around me who I work on these shows with they're wonderful and in, in coming to me and sort of in a quick period of time we got to plan the show. We got to do this. We got to make sure that we're ready to go for that. So I, I think it's more about giving credit to those people who have been so wonderful with my schedule, um, and then also just taking some deep breaths and finding time to where you say, you know what, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch like a Netflix show one time, <laughs> and see how that 
see how that goes, you know, because I, I don't get to do those things that often and, and just really like let yourself decompress. I think it's hard to go constantly all the time. So as as the role and you, you're evolving constantly, like with golf, you think of them as like swing thoughts. Okay, what are the two things I need to focus in on, which may be different than the, than the person you're playing with? For you, what are the things before you're about to go on camera where you're like, okay, Laura, don't forget to do this. Or... I think for like these big games, I always, and, and really for anything, I'll always remind myself, like, take a deep breath, smile, remember you have a family that loves you. Like, sometimes we just make this stuff too serious. And, and yes, it's very serious. It's important. You can't mess up. But the worst thing that I think anybody can do is sit there and overthink it. So those are my swing thoughts. I've got a great family. I'm very fortunate to have that. And, and at the end of the day, they're going to be there for me. And, and for me, I love doing this stuff. Ultimately, I'd like to move into like down the road whenever TV's done or, or radio's done or whatever it may be into like a talent development role somewhere. Uh, that's really my passion is, is kind of the next group of people who's coming up. How can we help them? And I really love that. So I also tell myself that like, hey, you've got something else you could do. If this doesn't work out well, you're fine, you know, <laughs> and, and it is that positive self-talk that sounds so corny, but I do think it works. So Bruce is a sideline reporter. I know yes. he spends the whole week leading up to Saturday immersing himself in the in the two teams and all the Great. like. If you you just use an example of you would be in New York Monday and Tuesday, you got a game Thursday night. How do you learn two full teams rosters? And I all that? I do segment time to do that like during those Mondays and Tuesdays. So I I try to stay fully focused on get up, but I will say like. I'll pick up the phone and call and do interviews and things like that. And then, you know, you are, you're studying too deep. The one, the biggest favor that happens for me is if we have repeat teams. Like we had Houston a couple times this year and I'm like, yes, Houston again. And then, you know, I, I think the, for me, once I look at it and train my brain on it, I can remember it. So it, it there's a lot of the, the sort of mind tricks that I've learned for myself that help a lot, but it is, I mean, on Saturdays when I get home from SEC Nation and I'm I'm watching the rest of that day of football and then into Sunday and then I leave again on Sunday so there's like less than 24 hours a lot of times at home I am a lot of times watching as many games as I can too to try to catch up that way because yeah. that's another thing if I watch the, the game film I can usually I'll learn a lot from that and, and I'm sure you do that too it's really as Stu said, you're, so you're the breakout star, but when you watch like old Laura from like four years ago, what is the stuff you're like, what are you cringing at? Oh my goodness, yeah. so many things. I, I, I think one of the main things is cleaning up the way that you say things and, and making it more efficient. And from a sideline standpoint, you know, uh, you got to get in and get out quickly. But what I found is that that mantra applies well to everything. We don't need excessive words. And I still do it sometimes and I'll look back and, and even watch something on Get Up and say, man, I could have said that a lot quicker so it's this constant challenge to myself and and speaking in headlines what I used to do is roundabout get to the headline I, my even from a childhood age I loved creative writing and so I think that was the way that my mind worked the way that this works is what's the headline Hollywood Brown's gonna play in the game boom that's all okay then whatever else is ancillary but you get it out there and, and that was a something that I didn't do very well um, four years ago or even as recently as probably two years ago I've been fortunate to have a lot of people who have taken an investment they knew I wanted to work hard they knew I wanted to get better and, and they've taken the time to give me the, that feedback and help me there too. You know, one role we haven't even mentioned is you you became Paul Feinbaum's foil 
in the last two years, right? That's my dude. I love I, him. So I, I would listen to the shows yeah. you would do where you were sitting. You would take. I was really impressed. Like you, you know, his callers, as we know, are all over the map, crazy, whatever you want to yeah. say. And you would, you would take their calls, and you didn't Passionate seem frazzled too. at all. Passionate, Passionate. Passionate, yes. You didn't seem the least bit frazzled by some of the. Um, no, I mean, you know, let's, I well, mean, thank you. Yeah. I, you know, the, the greatest thing that happened for me is Paul t- saying that he would let me sit beside him because um, I had never had an experience like that before. And it, it is kind of interesting in many ways. But the one thing I would say is that your skin becomes much thicker when it's not just somebody hiding behind a Twitter bio or whatever coming after you and you have time to think about maybe what your response would be. They're coming at you. You're on TV. People can see your face people can hear your voice and you've got to be able to quickly respond to somebody who a lot of times they would attack things that I can't change you know attack the fact that I'm a woman attack the fact that I never played football you know all of these things that I can't fix that you know I'm I can only work harder and and try to show why you shouldn't be saying that to me but it was an incredible learning experience and what Paul does to be on that show for four hours every single day is incredible. <laughs> I don't think he gets enough credit for doing that. It's it obviously it's a gets, unique skill. He's a, a ringmaster. I mean, just being in studio with him, I remember seeing like he get this nutty question and yes. how he's able to diffuse it, <laughs> and deflect it, and not have the guy want to come to the studio with like God knows what. So, well, we appreciate your thank time. You guys. We know you're so busy. This and, was awesome. I appreciate you guys. Oh, we so, th- thank you for coming. I'm on. a big fan of the podcast, really. So I, I'm honored to be on it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank we're, always, we're always thrilled to hear about our celebrity listeners. So. <laughs> I appreciate you guys. Thanks, Laura. Thank you. Great conversation there with Laura. I uh, hope the background noise wasn't too distracting. We both got in uh, the night of the 20 days. By the way, days of the week just completely run together to me once you get to this time of year. I, I, I know dates. I don't know if it's Tuesday or Saturday or whatnot. I, got, I know I got here on the night of the 26th, last night, the night before media day. And I was up pretty late here on East Coast time watching the end of probably one of the most fun bowl games I can remember in a while, even though some people would just call it a bad game. And that was the Cal-TCU Cheez-It Bowl that had nine interceptions, that had TCU's SID get a, get a sideline interference call yeah, for, for tripping over a, a down-and-distance marker. I feel like this, was, this game was the perfect... You know, when people say, oh, there's too many bowls, there are exhibition games, which side of the fence you're on on that, this game was a great litmus test of that because the people that you and I follow on Twitter, and the, they were loving this. It was, it, just, it was so bad it was absurd to the point where, like, I was riveted right to the end. And then the people who kind of crap on bowls as it is are like, this is terrible. They should expand the playoff and just get rid of all these stupid, meaningless bowl games. Yeah, I, look, you know what? What you had, you had... TCU with its fourth string quarterback at one point. I mean, look, who they said didn't have full use of his foot. Yeah, so <laughs> so that kid, Shreveport, Louisiana kid, Tim Brando would probably be pissed if I didn't point point that out. Had a major leg injury last year. They think he's going to be a really really good player, but Graham Mulestein had a, hor- a horrible game. He had a negative passer rating at the end of regulation. The starting quarterback for TCU. Yeah, so that, so it was bleak. I mean, to me, and again, just sitting on the couch or thinking about that, I'm like, all right, you have Shewu Alanaleu who is running all over them. He's a huge, like he's almost Derrick Henry size guy and as athletic. Stick him in the Wildcat and just let him run. They have Jalen Rieger, who's another dynamic guy who was making big plays in the return game. 
And I just figured, okay, that's the way they're going to win this game. But it, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I thought it was it was blissfully, it was blissfully, I don't want to say inept because that's not fair, but it was just like one of these games where it's almost like you're in a car and you're riding on empty and you're like, I want to see how far I can get on empty. <laughs> And that's how it was. It's it's what I've always said about college football and why I enjoy it more than the pros is that they're amateurs and they make mistakes. You know, you watch an NFL game sometimes and it's just like everybody's good at everything. You know, college kids are a little bit more fallible. Now, this was an extreme example of that. But, like, sometimes the dumb intercept – I mean, Cal Cal's only touchdown came when TCU tried to do a, the, one of the worst trick plays I've ever seen. It got returned for a touchdown. You know, stuff like that seems to happen more often in college. But So I would be lying if I said I've watched every bowl game to this point, but I've seen a few. What, what's been, other than that one, right, of the early bowl games, what, what was your biggest takeaway? That's a good question. Um, want me to go first? Yes, why don't you go first? I watched quite a bit of the Houston Army, however you want, whichever side of it you're on, you want to call the Army show of dominance or the Houston just complete debacle where it honestly looked at times like the Houston defenders were just trying not to get injured. It wasn't like Army was, you know, usually we know Army to gain three, four yards at a time and and run the clock dry. No, they were just running free, big, explosive plays. So Houston gets destroyed, and immediately speculation turns to, is Major Applewhite going to get fired? And some of the initial statements from their administration, like, didn't really well it, it nobody's flat out come out and said like oh yeah he's gonna be our coach next year well i think what's what's dangerous just having reported some of the situation is the ad may feel one thing but the big booster tillman fertita who wasn't exactly lowering the bar at all when they hired major and the president renu cantor are pretty unpredictable and like johnny rod's unpredictable they are they're like auburn-esque like yeah. in terms of the volatility of that place so you know, who the heck knows what's going on? We know the bar is sky high at Houston. And look, if you give up, what was it? The last time somebody gave up 70 was Dabo, right? And it's just in a bowl game. That's not the kind of, you know, situation you want to be in when it already felt like tenuous. And there's a lot of people around Houston who probably felt like whatever success Houston had was was due to Kendall Bryles. And now and they knew Kendall Bryles was, walk, was leaving. I mean, he handed in his resignation right at the end of, after that game, you know, and he was going on to FSU. So they knew that was going to happen. And, you know, on top of it, you have Ed Oliver, Derek King. He didn't play in the game either. It's not like this team didn't have talent. So Houston's a very interesting situation, you know, right now. For me, the games that kind of resonate with me, you know, I thought the Troy Buffalo game was an entertaining entertaining game, which we expected because it was two coaches who are, have really done a good job. But the one that I was like kind of, you know, riveted by was our friend Dave Clawson in Wake Forest beating a really explosive Memphis team in a wild back and forth game, which I thought was like this. This is the kind of game like when Wake Forest had been in some high scoring wild games this year. But I feel like that was one that really was very entertaining, right down to the last play. And so, uh, I don't know. I love this time of year. I will say the game that I did not see coming was Ohio U just crushing San Diego State. That was my, I don't know where my confidence point were, but it wasn't very good at that point. Well, let me tell you something about our confidence points. I was doing pretty well, 
But then I missed out on a chance to get 32 points because the team that I played put 32 points on their game got canceled in the first quarter. But you were probably losing 7 nothing on those. Points. I was losing 7 nothing at that point. But let's talk about this for a second. They've been playing bowl games since 1902. And as far as we know, this is the first time that an FBS bowl game got canceled. And you got this. we're talking about the first responder bowl here. Uh, in Dallas, there was lightning. The game got delayed. Then they were just looking like they were going to come out of that. But then the weather forecast said there was going to be another storm after that and that they might be stuck there all day. So they just canceled it. The stats don't count. Everybody went home. And, you know, Nicole Alrak did a little reporting or a story about this for us. You know, I think you and I were talking about this last night. This isn't a regular season game where you can, all right, let's see if there's an open date on the calendar and to reschedule this. They just said, all right, the game's not happening. And so all these pe- fans flew there. I'm not saying like, it's like the Rose Bowl. It wasn't huge numbers, but fans traveled there, stayed in hotels. They were there over Christmas. This was going to be their seniors' last game, and they just canceled it midway through the first quarter. And it's like, surely there was a better solution than this. I don't think they know what you know. This is one of those bowls. It's when you look at the executives, they're all ESPN people. And so here's some of the some of the stuff I do know, just from working on on game broadcasts. And I think this. People comment on this because you had tweeted something and I kind of snapped back at you a little bit where you like, well, you were like going at Chris, poor Chris Budden, who's who's stuck in the miserable. I was not going at Chris Budden. She she made a joke. She was the sideline reporter and she didn't like the fact that I said they should just move it to Jerry World or to the Frisco Star more, you know, move it somewhere. There's indoor stadiums there you can play the game at. I do understand that you can't up and move to all the cameras and truck and wiring and all that to basically it would have had to be untelevised right so is espn which has owned this game are they gonna are they gonna just basically shutter a bowl game because like the question isn't well if we reschedule for tomorrow we because they're they're locked into their whole bowl schedule for programming so do they try to stick it on espn3 i don't know how that you know the logistics of that work but I think the things people don't know, like I've had people, because Dan Wolken had, had talked about it on Twitter too, and I was like, listen, our crews go in like 36 hours ahead of time just to get cameras ready and to, to basically to wire the stadium. You can't... Earlier than that, I, f- I think they get there early in the week. Well, it depends. The crews can come in, though, like 36 hours before the game. But to get the all the equipment down, you can't go back up until the, till, basically until the field is pl- playable. And so... All that equipment is like kind of stuck there. So it just, and then people are like, well, just put it on Periscope. With what? With somebody with their iPhone out there? You can't. I don't know. I think we could have made this work. Let's think about this for a second. First of all, I know one of the things that was cited was, you know, they already checked out of their hotels. You'd have to find new hotels for, for both teams. Fans are coming in for the Cotton Bowl. I think we could have gotten that solved. It's not like they had another game or class to get back to. Like, this is the end of the season. So your main concern is how would they have figure out how to televise it basically it's not it's not my main concern but i just think logistically i'd be curious how how espn would explain you know they own the bowl they can't put it on tv now because their their programming schedule is all all locked in it's not like they're going to show the game at two in the morning well hold on their programming schedule is locked in but like on a saturday when a game's running late they'll move it to espn news you know like they have they own a lot of channels like you guys do with fox business channel so I'm saying they could have. 
<laughs> What's the truth? You guys, when you have a weather delay, you get moved to Fox Business Channel. Okay, so <laughs> they move it to... I can remember before you, you or I worked there, they once moved a game to Fox News. And the Twitter mentions to Fox News were incredible. <laughs> Why is there a football game on instead of Bill O'Reilly? Okay, let's just play this out. I know this is hype, but this is like fantasy land. But let's say they, they were like, you know what? You can use Jerry World tomorrow. I, I, they're already opening it for Media Day for the, uh, for the uh, Notre Dame uh, Clemson. Day, you do not need to have special, like all the police and rescue people there. You know, if, Good point. If God gets out of control, one security guard can rein him in. You do not have all these resources you need to have enabled, whether it's clock operators or all this other stuff that needs to, to, go, to be enacted. Wasn't there a regular season game? With no crowd? In the basketball game, I feel like. No, that I remember with the, with the tornado in Atlanta. No, there was a regular season football game recently where they... They came back and played it the next day. Oh, no, no, no. That's not true. They moved the time up because there was a hurricane coming. All right, so there's no good way to do this. I don't think so. Now, look, we're in a place that is has now in Miami, with South Florida, has a lot of electrical storms. What's the backup here if this were to happen here? It's a great question. We've both checked the forecast. There's no rain in the forecast for Saturday night. But, but if there was, if there was a lightning storm Saturday night, I clearly we're going to reschedule the playoff. We're going to. I think they would just stay until if there was a six-hour delay, they would play the game at two in the morning. I think that's probably true. I think you have to do what you can do to to make it work. But again, what's what's different there was once you get into they're looking at and these are like assistant ads and and. In this case, I guess the people who run the bowl are looking at weather patterns. And if anything is within, if there's a lightning strike within like 10 miles, it resets the clock for 30 minutes. So you just get this, you know, keep on waiting and waiting. You know, they would have to do something. I would just be curious as to like, would they, like, what's the latest they could play a game if the weather was like, because our game is a night game. That game was in the middle of the day. Early in the day. Which seemed to be part of the problem, by the way. They just didn't want to have to wait around until, like, they might have been able to get it in at 7 at night. They just didn't want to have to wait around all day to find out. Yeah. I, again, I would love to hear more specifics from the ESPN people who run the bowl on logistically how much it would cost to, to manage these things. So I think ultimately it becomes cost-benefit analysis of whether it's worth it. By the way, as we're having this conversation, the sky outside our hotel room has severely darkened there's clearly a storm coming here right now but uh, as long as it doesn't happen saturday night we're good we had dinner last night at a restaurant it's don't get me wrong the weather is fine it's 70 low 70s but it was very windy uh, to the point where i was worried we were going to lose one or two of the menus over go overboard okay <laughs> i guess that's all the detail you want to go into on that all right real quick you know we're going to cover alabama oklahoma it's going to be great but, like, two days later, you're going to be on the sideline at Levi's Stadium for, I was going to say the first ever, but technically, you can't. it's not the first ever Red Box Bowl. It was the Foster Farms Bowl. It was the Craft Fight Hunger Bowl. It is the first ever. It's the first one called the Red Box Bowl. Yeah. I'm not sure another bowl has gone through as many sponsors as that one has. It was the, it was the Diamond, uh, Walnut. Diamond Walnut Bowl. It was the Emerald Bowl. It was the Craft Fight Hunger Bowl. Foster Farms. Now we're at Red Box. 
At least people know what Redbox is. You know what I'm excited about? We had Justin Herbert who decided he's going to stay for another year of college football, go up against a really good Michigan State defense. That's exactly right. And uh, first of all, I've been seeing the ads. I was watching an NFL game on Fox, and the promos come on because Fox has two games. And they're Oregon, Michigan State, and Northwestern, Utah. And for obvious reasons, I'm very interested in both those games. I'm actually going to be joining Bruce on the sideline for this one. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean joining me on the sideline? Is this something I haven't heard about yet? I mean, we literally had a conversation about this two days well, ago. You're, going to be, you're, going, you're not going to be, like, wearing a headset. No, I'm not going to be wearing a headset. I will stay out of your way. But I am going to watch the game from the sideline because I, I want to see what you do. I've never, I've never really gotten to see this up close, um, and I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Also, I want to see Justin Herbert from field level. That's kind of the main reason, to be honest with you. Yeah, But no, real quick, this decision, I don't think it was entirely surprising. People have been saying for months, you know, he's from there. He, you know, he was injured most last year. So he hasn't really played that much college football yet. But it seemed to send the NFL draft community into hysteria because without him, there aren't many obvious first-round quarterbacks, which, of course, leads us to what we were talking about earlier would that be another reason for Kyler Murray to get in on this? Because, I don't know, I, he, could, he might be the first or second quarterback taken. Yeah, I mean, my hunch is, and I don't know this for sure, but my hunch is Dwayne Haskins would be the first pick, first quarterback taken. I just would not be surprised if he left. He obviously had a big, big year this year. A bunch of receivers are moving on. We don't know that yet. He hasn't decided. Drew Locke is out there. It's not a deep quarterback class right no, now. No, a lot of the guys people were talking about before the season didn't. Just, know, or, uh, Jared Stidham Jared really Stidham struggled. really struggled. I'm trying to think back to like August, who who was on everybody's list. Like Will Greer's had a nice year, but I don't think that I don't think Will Greer is seen as a first round guy. Nope. I'm telling you, if you're Kyler Murray and you're and you're really torn about this, this would be a good year to come out. Well, it certainly helps him that Baker Mayfield's had a, had a really good year. We've seen some, I don't say, some unconventional quarterbacks thriving in the NFL. And I think the NFL is more open to the, the dynamic, not necessarily just out of the throw win from the pocket quarterback. I mean, situationally, the, the difference with, with him and Baker is Baker's probably 30 pounds bigger or 25 pounds bigger. The height is one thing, but I think the... The weight and worrying about how well it will hold up is another issue. But I would love to see Kyler Murray give it a shot just because he has thrived. Especially, this will be a good litmus test because Alabama's probably as close to an NFL defense as he's going to see. It's not an NFL defense, personnel-wise, but to see how he can do against these guys. And then if he lights up, like Baker Mayfield did to Georgia, if he lights up the Alabama defense, win or lose, but if he puts 45 points on and they lose, you know, 59-45, I think that will only give more more heat to the idea of, man, you should really make a run at the NFL. It seems to me that over the last couple of years, the hit rate among these high quarterbacks has been a lot better, right? I mean, usually you expect like half of those first-round quarterbacks to be busts, but... Darnold starting and doing okay. Obviously, Baker Mayfield's doing great. I'm just talking about the last two or three years of draft quarterbacks. Jared Goff, Pat Mahomes, even Josh. Our guy Josh Allen is not performing all yeah, that badly. It's relative to what you have around you. You know, we had, you know, Rosen and Josh Allen, especially Rosen, has got the worst offensive line. Yeah. So I think that's a function of what's around you. But you look back, Carson Wentz, I mean, is, you know, has obviously had a ton of success when he's been on the field. But... The guys who 
you know, Mariota's been up and down, but his team has been pretty good. The one who's actually struggled a lot of late, and is also stepping on the field, is Jameis Winston. But it, we do feel like we're a little bit away from the days of Christian Ponder and Blaine Gabbert still in the league. Christian, but. And you know why I think that is? Because they're finally just drafting the best, most talented guys instead of the guys who fit a 6'5", you know, certain prototype. You know who's, who's not small, but who fits in that category, and I think you'll agree when I said I follow the NFL obviously a little closer than you do, and I'll say, and you'll nod your head in a hurry, is Deshaun Watson. He was a great college Yes, he player, put him in that. And he has turned out to be a terrific NFL quarterback as long as he's been healthy. He's By the way, he's 6'2 and 220. It's not like he's like, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's certainly not way undersized. So when you talk about the Cam Newton, I mean, uh, Blaine Gabbert, Jake Locker, Christian Ponder class, I mean, those were all guys who were not necessarily the most productive college quarterbacks, but they fit a mold. And I remember there was some resistance about whether Cam Newton should go number one that year. It was Todd McShay or somebody was all about Blaine Gabbert. Now, now I feel like the Baker Mayfield going number one was a big moment because it was the he is not the prototype, but it was the Browns having the faith to be like, I mean, he was a fantastic college quarterback. Deshaun Watson was a fantastic college quarterback, but he was the third quarterback taken that year. Granted, one of the ones that went above him is Mahomes. So, so all that being said, like, yeah, I think Kyler Murray would be a really good NFL quarterback. I'm not all that worried about his size, but obviously he's got a bigger decision than, than most guys who have to decide whether or not to enter the draft. I think we've, we've covered everything we can for now. We will be back probably in this same room, very late at night after the two playoff semifinal games. Um, that'll probably be a no-sleep night because I know we both have early flights back. And uh, and then next week we'll be, again, and this, we'll get to do three or four straight podcasts from the same place because uh, then next week we'll pick it up again in Santa Clara. So, great. We'll see you guys next time. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to The Audible on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star review while you're at it. It helps get the word out. Thanks to Trader Joe's for being our presenting sponsor. Our producer is Nick Fink. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. You can download their music on iTunes and Spotify. Follow me, Stu, at SL Mandel on Twitter and Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB. And subscribe to The Athletic if you haven't done so already. You can try it for free, seven-day free trial at theathletic.com slash free trial. So come on, get over here. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.